In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So tonight, uh, t today and tonight is one of those days in the Pascha, uh, where in the morning, uh, the Lord uh, prophesied about the destruction of uh, Jerusalem. And so it's part of this progress that you see from the beginning of the week all the way till the end of the week. Uh, the more he speaks of his divinity, the more he reveals his plan, the more they reject him. And that gets to its climax where they actually come at the end and uh, crucify him. Uh, and so it comes the readings of tonight, all of them are about the parables, uh, mainly, uh, about uh, the second coming and being watchful. Because always in the Bible you have this comparison or that parallel between uh, the destruction of the temple and the end, I guess, of the old covenant and uh, the second coming and uh, uh, being watchful. So tonight, in the first gospel of tonight, it speaks about the parable of the king who uh, made a wedding for his son and uh, he invited the people. But then when time came, he sent his messengers to tell them, okay, come, the wedding is ready. I have prepared everything. And so they reject uh, him and they reject coming to the wedding. And so he sends another group of servants and then also they reject them and they even kill uh, some of them. And so now he wants to have, you know, people in the wedding of his son. So what, what would he do? He asks his servants to go out on the streets to uh, just invite pretty much anyone uh, just to fill in the hall. And then, of course, you know the story, they invite many people, but then when he comes, he enters into the hall and he finds someone not dressed in the wedding uh, garment, and he tells him, friend, how did you get in here without the wedding garment? And he uh, cast, him, cast him out. Of course, we look into this image, and we, uh, we see uh, the father uh, has prepared uh, a wedding for his son to be wedded, to humanity and the uh, the wedding chamber if you would is the womb of the Theotokos herself the mother of God as she carries him in her womb so and, and as she give him the humanity so we see this coming together of uh, divinity and humanity coming in the in the womb of the holy Theotokos now, we cannot skip, as we look into this, we cannot skip an important element uh, that this father, planning this wedding, inviting the people to his son's wedding, when they rejected, he went out and he brought in people totally unworthy to be in the wedding. And this image of unworthiness has to bring before our eyes the grace of God, really. It really has to put before our eyes God's grace. 
for people are totally unworthy. They're not invited originally. But then he ends up by inviting them and says, come, be in my son's wedding. And he's a king, and it's a very honoring uh, invitation. So there's this element in this whole week that always skips our mind, although it's very important and very central in this week, which is God's grace, pretty much. You actually look into the whole week. The whole week is immersed in God's grace. Say, how do you speak of God's grace if today is about the judgment, is about the watchfulness? You can't skip the, uh, the element of God's grace from the very first gospel that was read today. Now I want you to, to pay a little bit of attention with me as we talk about this tonight. Because many times this week comes and passes by us and we don't really think of God's grace at all. Although, uh, if anything, we are created in His grace. We are created through His grace and we are living by His grace. When, when the church and the Bible speaks of God's grace, that we are created in His grace, when we speak about we're created of nothingness, right? God decided out of His goodness, out of His love, out of His grace to create us. And He created Adam in grace. And Adam, his life was sustained by God's grace. And then we know Adam fell. Fell in sin. And when he fell in sin, he also fell from the grace of God. But not totally. Not totally. And so you see um, the whole theme of God's grace from even before the creation, even up until now, all the way till eternity. So what is God's grace? What's His grace? We use this term sometimes, and, and we as Orthodox, sometimes we shy away from using God's grace because we like to emphasize a little bit more on the struggle, and we sometimes shy away from what, speaking of God's grace. But what is God's grace? So grace is, is you can think about it as uh, compassion. Uh, you can think about it as loving kindness. You can think about grace as someone is not worthy of something, but was given to him. Um, when you look into dictionaries or theological dictionaries, it speaks about the term used for God's grace is described as in coming from the being of God himself. Not as an outside attribute, but it's something in God himself. So, of course, we have to be very careful when, when we use those terms. But anyway, you know how we speak sometimes, you know, oh, uh, this person is just always smiling. Or we say, this person is always happy. This person is always kind, regardless of the circumstances he or she uh, might be in. And say, oh, that's, that's their nature. Their nature is that they are kind. Their nature, they are gentle. Regardless of how much you bother them, they're just always that way. When you feel like this person is, that's his nature. So almost you think about God's grace coming out of his, who he is. Um, so... 
the, the psalm says, uh, because your loving kindness is better than life. Your loving kindness is better than life. Psalm 63. And we say that sometimes in Arabic, say, Rahmatuka afdal min al This Rahma, that mercy, it's actually what he's speaking of. In, in, in the original language, he is actually referring to his grace. He says, loving kindness is better than, li is better than life. And so, if life is the best gift, if life is the best gift God gives us, and the psalmist comes and say, no, your loving kindness is even better than life itself. And so God's grace is even better than all the gifts that God gives us. He says, but, but he gives us all these gifts out of his grace. He says, yes, because this is why his grace is much better than all the gifts that he gave us. And that he continues on to, he continues to, to give us. Um, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John in first chapter, he says, uh, uh, the law was given by Moses, uh, but uh, but grace was given by by Jesus, right? Exactly. And say he says we're giving grace upon we're giving grace upon grace. So the Old Testament, even the Old Testament, the grace of God was there, but in the New Testament we are given grace upon. Grace. We're given more grace. Or maybe our eyes are open more on His grace. Our eyes are more understanding of His grace and His work in our lives. So, yes, God was gracious in the Old Testament. And now He's even more gracious in the New Testament. Out of the grace of God, God gave the Old Testament the law. Say, so how, how do you say this? He says, yes, he gave him the Old Testament. He gave them the law in the Old Testament to keep them from straying away. That was his way of keeping them uh, in his love and in his path. And you say, and so you look at you look at the law and you say, oh, the law is. God's way of expressing His grace and God's way of giving His grace in the Old Testament. This is what happens in the New Testament. Oh, New Testament is a different story. Says, Why? Says, because you have Christ. The full revelation of who God is given to us. And so we open our eyes and say, oh, that's a grace upon, that's a grace upon grace. Now, St. Athanasius speaks and he says, you know, there is one complete perfect grace comes through the Father, comes from the Father, through the Son, in the Spirit. Uh, you look into the work of Christ and, and you see our creation. We're created in grace. We're saved by His grace. We're baptized in grace. We're adopted 
and grace and say and you, and you look and say all my that's our whole relationship with God is immersed in grace and you come this week and many times and we look at the cross we're looking and seeing Christ being crucified where we're looking into the passion the whole passion uh, from the time he entered into Jerusalem uh, until his death and you open your eyes and say oh that that is all grace given to me um, so let me take you in a small detour and, and come back into this as orthodox we understand grace in a concept called synergy that is we're, we co-work with God. We're co-workers of God. There is a synergy. There is, there is God's work and my work. Not necessarily equal at all, by the way. But both of them are important. Both of them exist. My part responds to His grace. Within the history of the church, some form of deviation happened around the concept of, of grace. So some thought God's grace is so powerful that there is this what we call irresistible grace. There's just, God's grace comes upon a person and just cannot resist it at all. And so our free will almost doesn't exist because God's grace is so powerful and it, and, and it takes us completely, it overtakes us. And that also, that's inaccurate. That's not, we don't believe in that. On the other side, there's also another form of deviation that took place. And the other form of deviation says when Adam fell, the human nature did not get corrupt. This is wrong. And so man, by his own free will, is able to do well, to do well, and is able to live a good life without the divine assistance. Should I repeat that, or you got it? Okay, I'll repeat it one more time. Okay, all right. So, so two forms of deviation. Both of them are on the on the uh, extremes. One of them says that God's grace is it could be irresistible. And so I cannot resist it. If God's grace, this irresistible grace comes on me, I cannot resist and I just, almost my free will is not there and just have to submit. We rejected that. And the other deviation took place when it says, when, when they said, when, when Adam sinned, the human nature did not get corrupt. It was only Adam's problem. The human nature did not get corrupt. And so man still has the unfallen nature, which means that I can do good without divine assistance. That's also wrong. So what is the correct understanding? The correct understanding is what I was referring to in the beginning, that there is a synergy between God, God approaching me by His grace, and I should respond to this grace. God comes and speaks in my heart 
And my part is to respond. God comes and is incarnate, taking flesh and taking the human nature in himself to save me and to redeem me. And I need to respond to this. So this is what Paul refers to when he says, his grace towards me was not in vain. This is probably very beautiful and perfectly put from Paul, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He says, his grace towards me was not in vain. Now God approached me with his grace and I responded. It was not in vain. I'll come and read that in, in a minute because it, it gives this complete and perfect understanding because it almost this almost comes to be a cycle. God gives me his grace, I respond, he gives me grace, I respond, he gives me grace, I respond, and it goes on. When would it stop? When I don't respond. But even when I don't respond, there's this what's called the awakened grace. That even when I'm sleeping, even when I'm not listening to God's voice, even when my heart is hardened, this awakening grace comes in and just pokes me. says, hey, wake up. This is wrong. God loves you. Wake up from your sleep. He says, but I have not been responding. But that's part of his grace. That he comes and he wakes me up. Now, um, so God's grace invites all and compels none. So God's grace invites all, but it compels no one. So today, in today's gospel that we read in Matthew 22, which was in the first hour, it invited all to come. But it compelled no one to come. He sent the invitation when they did not want to come. He led them. And when he invited those who are on the streets, when they came in, he accepted them. But then don't forget about this one who did not have the garment. This is the one who's invited. This is the one who doesn't respond. So... Of course, we know that by grace we are saved and not by our own works. But again, the works has to result into this. St. Paul speaks to Timothy and he tells him, uh, be strong in the grace that is in Christ. What do you mean to be strong in the grace? It's a grace. How do you be strong? It says just respond with it. Um, there's a beautiful story in the life of St. Antony about this. St. Antony telling a story to some of the monks about an attack from the demons. And those of you who read The Life of Antony, you probably maybe know which uh, attack I'm referring to because it's very famous. Those of you who did not get a chance to read The Life of Antony by St. Athanasius, I highly invited you, invited you to go read it. Uh, so he, he, he's telling this story to, uh, to his monks about this attack. Uh, but he says, uh, as he's telling this story, he says, really it was Christ who stopped them, not me. He says, but, but it was you who was fighting. He says, 
I was there. I was trying to do my part, but it was all, it was all his. So, what do you do? What do we do with our weaknesses? It says, "My grace is sufficient in weakness." You say, I, I struggle a lot with a lot of things. I struggle with things in my heart. I struggle with things in my flesh. I struggle with laziness. I struggle with weakness in my body. And he says, my grace is sufficient. Just show me something. Give me something. I'll give you all the grace that you need. My grace uh, is sufficient uh, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So my, my, I'm tired tonight, I cannot pray. It says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. This grace of God, by the way, goes all the way, we'll see it on Friday, when we see Christ accepting the right-hand thief, just by very few words, say, you know, As he says those very few words, the right-hand thief, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. He says, his life is a mess. He's a criminal. He says, yeah, but tonight, today you will be with me in, in, in paradise. God's grace goes beyond even denial. You look into Peter, and you look into his denial, denying Christ, but his grace does not leave him. It get him, it get him on the Sea of Tiberias as he was fishing after the resurrection. The Lord does not leave Peter. He says he goes after him. He says, Do you love me? This is the awakening grace that sometimes we don't recognize. He says, Lord, you know all things. Then he asks him three times. And so, with the grace that God gives us, we need to be careful lest we also fall from grace as we continue to reject His, His work in us. Um, I'll read with you just two verses uh, from 1 Corinthians 15 that I think I, uh, I quoted a minute ago. Um, he says uh, but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain his grace towards me it was not in vain but I labored so grace and then labor he says but I labored more abundantly than they all yet not I but the grace of God again. And so, and so we come to this week and we are totally, um, totally 
immersed in grace and in in scenes and readings are all about his grace even the ones that reject you know the jews or this or that there's always this silver lighting in them about god reaching out uh, to them and of course uh, to us but the one thing that we need to be careful of as i mentioned earlier is if we neglect his grace if we neglect his grace um, God's grace is inviting us to come to holiness, to respond to His love, to respond to His goodness, to say, Lord, Your grace is not in vain in me. I need to respond to this. I need to take an action in response to this immense love that He offers all of us knowing that whatever happened, I'm still in His grace and glory be to God forever. Amen.